Welcome to the Wise Musician Club. We are a group of musicians, performers, and music executives who realize that access to the music industry has become harder than ever, and we want to change that. We want to show future rock stars and rock stars that want to continue their career in this digital environment that there is a pathway to success, and it's not all based on luck. We are going to dispel myths, share the trade secrets, and explain the industry from the inside and out so you can absolutely kill it in the music business. Hey, everybody in the Wise Musician Club. This is Amy Schultz coming back. Um, I know it's been a little bit uh, since we've launched the podcast, but I am speaking today um, with one of my favorite people that I've known for quite a while, probably since Uh, my early 20s. Um, His name is Ryan Lance, um, currently living up in Minneapolis, has done a lot of musical projects, and I think you guys will really want to listen to this one because he's got some really cool stories of who he's worked with in the past and who he's currently working with. So I'm very excited for all the things that you're Uh going to share with us today. So welcome, Ryan. Well, thanks. Appreciate it. (laughs) No problem. So um, let's start from the beginning, like we always do in our podcast. And uh, what intrigued you or how did you enter the whole musical scene? What, you know, what age did you finally realize, or did you realize whether it be an infant, a, child, a two-year-old, a five-year-old right. high schooler? When did you, tell me how you uncovered music um, and where you wanted to go. I didn't, I don't know if it was specifically music right off the bat. Um, I was, I love theater and that's kind of where my background started the first lessons i took i think were um some like community theater classes for kids my mom brought me to some um and then because i love to perform that was kind of the main thing i just love performing and uh then i think shortly after that i I enrolled in um piano lessons which i did for i think it was this is grade school you know like what first second grade or something like that and um I did not like them at all (laughs) I couldn't handle it it was just I couldn't handle like you know sitting at the piano and and having to read the notes I would always try to I would memorize them the the pieces and I'd come in and I'd play them from memory I'd look down she'd like hit my hands with the ruler (laughs) and um so like really my first introduction into any kind of like artistic stuff was uh piano lessons and then my theater classes for uh, kind of a children's arts program they had at the community theater. Yeah, now I'm, yeah. I'm going to bring that back to the theater because um, Ryan grew up in Fargo, North Dakota. And if yeah. you've never been to Fargo, it is one <laughs> of the most arts-oriented cities or towns really that I've ever experienced. They have so many different theatrical things for children and up-and-comers to do and the outdoor amphitheater and all that kind of stuff. It is actually eye-opening to visit that town. So if you haven't visited Fargo, and I know a lot of people make fun of that town, but it actually is a very cool place. To yeah, you'd never at. guess. You'd never, you'd never guess that it had that. I mean, I think um, it's, a, it's a pretty progressive town for because of... Uh, the influx with all the universities, I think there are three or four uh, universities there. And so that brings in a fresh crop of new minds and, you know, um, every year. So Mm -hmm. I think that really helps um, 
with that, with the artistic side of things um, for relatively conservative state. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but they really back their arts there and they, they back their arts programs, which is really cool. Yeah. It's I mean, we had a really symphony, cool. we had a couple dance companies still do, um, you know, there's uh, plenty of theater companies around thriving uh, arts within the schools there too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So you hated piano lessons just like I did. I did. Um, how many yeah. years did you, did you last? Uh, like a year and a half. <laughs> <laughs> I lasted a year and a half. I just couldn't hack it anymore. I but mean, you, you know, my, my mom was like, you're going to regret this. And I, you know, I, in a way I kind of do just because I can't sit down and, and read and just play like, you know, but I don't know. It's just, it was too stifling to me. Had I been with maybe the right teacher, it would have been mm -hmm. different. <coughs> um, no, I, but then I feel I, uh, the same way. I mean, and if you are naturally, you can just learn by ear, which I think I am and another keyboard player we interviewed and things like that. I mean, it just, it's just as natural for you just to figure it out. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I kind of, um, my, and I'm sure we'll get into it. Um, just kind of everything that I do really revolves around some sort of arts based, you know, something. It's like, I, there are a lot of different things that I'm involved in and that I really love and that I grew up loving. And I've been wanting to do all of them, you know, of course it's, it's impossible. I guess you could say Jack of all trades, king of none, you know, I'm not a great <laughs> keyboard player. Um, I'm not a great anything. It's just, I, I, but I understand, I understand all this stuff, which has really helped me in the long run. I, you know, the next thing I did after that was, I think it was fifth grade. I, I uh, joined orchestra, you know, it was kind of like being band or orchestra and I chose um, the double bass. So I was very short for a long time and I'm not, I'm still kind of not the tallest, but um, for a long time, I think it was like four nine up until about ninth grade. But uh, you know, I had the big oh, double God. bass and wow. uh, it was pretty comical, but I played that from fifth grade all the way through senior high, like all state orchestra and stuff. So. Um, I did learn how to read bass class. <laughs> ah. So that was, that was about it. No, I, I learned how to read, but um, I, uh, it wasn't something I enjoyed. But I, I love playing part of orchestra. Yeah. So, okay. So fifth grade through middle school, what did you do? In, or you played all the way through high school? Yeah. So I played all the way through high school. Then I did, um, and, and all the way during that, um, I had been doing maybe three shows at the community theater a year as part of their children's uh, program. So that was pretty much about from first grade on. Um, and then when I got to junior high, I got involved in my junior high theater department, which was really, really good comparatively to what you would think junior high theater would be. I mean, um, they really dumped the money into it. They dumped the time into it. We had, we had some very motivating instructors and teachers and everybody wanted to be part of it. And we had, they gave us huge budgets. I mean, we did like the wow. Hobbit and I was, I got to be Bilbo Baggins. And I like, you know, they, we had the fly system and a big dragon that breathed fire. It's like, wow. that was really cool. So I, I felt really lucky to be able to, to be part of a, um, a nurturing community and, and programs um, that, you know, if it wasn't for that stuff, I don't, I don't think I would be um, where I am today. I mean, I had a lot of people that I, I looked up to and were inspirational. My instructors were very inspirational. Wow. So maybe that was sort of the birth of your 
vocal prowess because you know you've really made your career on your vocals um obviously well, you can play a lot of instruments but vocals is really what brought you to the forefront and yeah i i like guess that. i um um it's weird because it, even though my as far as vocally go like a vocal focus it really didn't happen until like the late 80s which um when i was in high school prior to that i was kind of just dabbling in everything i was doing musical theater so of course that's kind of where um i just you know dove head first it was like sing you know just <laughs> get out there and do it um that came naturally to me uh singing and the acting performing part um the one piece i didn't have was i could always move really well but i wasn't um i couldn't i wasn't like a trained dancer um but then so then kind of in that junior high time um there was a uh there was a, a dance studio in town and two directors um kathleen eddie gasper which i'm sure you mm -hmm. remember them, them um mm -hmm. they uh eddie gasper was bob fossey's assistant in new york and he had moved into um well he didn't move he was brought in by uh one of the universities in town to be a summer like the kind of basically the summer director you know mm. just a, uh um just for the uh, guest artist for the time being and uh he called his wife kathy who was in new york and she had a, a long history of being in the ballet and and uh broadway as well and said he said you know i think i like it here i think i want to get out of the rat race of new york city and you know, he, he's, he was in so many different movies, The Music Man, you know, he's uh, original choreographer of Sweet Charity in, the, on, in London, and he was ready to settle down. And so um, she came, they visited and checked it out, and they started a school. And so um, they started a school, they, they landed, they started having kids, and they thought, you know, this town needs a dance company. And plus they were itching to kind of perform and be creative. So they started recruiting um, some of the uh, college students that they were teaching uh, to maybe start a company of really good movers. Nobody was trained yet, you know, but saw the potential in a lot of people and said, hey, we're, we'll give you classes for free um, oh. if you, because uh, we'd love to, to start something. And so everybody was like, great. Um, I was, you know, probably eighth grade at the time and I was doing a uh, Oklahoma in summer theater out at Trollwood Park, mm -hmm. that uh, summer theater program. And uh, Eddie and Kathy were directing and choreographing. They pulled me aside. They said, hey, um, you seem like you really like to dance. Would you like to get formal training? I'm like, sure, I guess so. I don't know. I have no idea. They're like, well, I'll tell you what. Um, we'd like you to audition for our junior company. And then um, we'd like to scholarship you. So basically, um, I was, I got trained. I was taking four or five classes, ballet, jazz, tap a day since wow. eighth grade. I made the company and um, I was, they, they trained me for free. I mean, I just got, and by the time I was in high school, I was teaching. I was a principal in the dance company. It was my first paid position. Um, I got scholarships as a ballet dancer to go to New York City for a summer. Wow. Um, there's so I mean that was really like I started to think okay well my my calling really is going to be um theater or Broadway or um uh you know I thought that's where I was going to be. That was it. <laughs> but it kind of 
it kind of turned into around that same time as right around like 89 or something we had started uh myself and a couple of friends out at arts park started singing some acapella stuff inspired by um there was actually a a barber a group of high school kids doing barbershop music and all the girls thought they were amazing we were like we can do that <laughs> we're like we let's forget that we can do that so we start our own thing up and that was the beginning of the blenders which is uh my vocal group and i think you talked to darren too right or yeah yeah so so yeah so um it was at that moment where i let i i switched gears pretty quickly and that was about the that was like 1990 where i said um we start getting gigs. We got like a manager and an agent and stuff. And I thought, okay, so I can travel the world and sing. And I don't have to take ballet class all day. <laughs> I don't have to um, make like just eat yogurt and rice cakes. <laughs> so uh, that's kind of where it all, it just kind of switched in me. And one day I just didn't dance anymore. And um, that's kind of like how that all started. And, and then from wow. that point on, my focus really was music, singing, vocals, you know, obviously huge as part of um, the acapella group, the Blenders. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I still, uh, music was, music was it. I still loved dance. I still love theater. Um, we perform, the Blenders still perform um, quite a bit off and on during the year. Um, it's our 30th year this year of being together, which is pretty exciting. And um, we still do, you know, we still do kind of one-offs during the year, but I am a performer and that's what I love to do. So I kind of get my, I kind of get it out of my system, even though it's not dance or acting necessarily, I'm on stage. Mm -hmm. And I think out of the four of us, I'm the only one who's on stage kind of throughout the year too. Mm -hmm. um, but that's that's really my first love. But yeah, that's that's wow. kind of how it all started. It's just a bunch of different things. You know, I love drawing. I loved all, you know graphic design. I, I loved. Uh, I was at an early age. I was with a little dual cassette deck. I was playing the drums, and then I play the piano, and then the bass, and the guitar, and I would try to make multi tracks. And, well, you're multi talented, and, uh, obviously, in many different aspects. So if I could well, just, I go ahead. I, yeah, I, I thanks. I just I, I I feel really glad to have been able to um, have parents too that help nurture that stuff for me. You know? Yeah, and make a living at it. I mean, because you're one of the rare yeah. folks that you know you make you have made a living out of I music. Have. Mm -hmm. I have. You know, it's nothing amazing, but I've done it. <laughs> so let's talk about your your blenders rise. Um, yeah. You know. Uh, Darren had shared some things with us as far as the formulation of things and mm -hmm. starting recordings and the record deal you got and that kind of thing. But yeah. something that we didn't touch on with him is some pretty big tours that you guys got on with Jay Leno and with Howie Mandel. And what are some other things that you did? Yeah, I think um, those were, it really fit well with those kind of shows, you know, to, to work with the comedians because um, the four part acapella thing was easy to set up it was easy to do um we could just run out there do our 30 minutes or whatever and then the comedian would be on it wasn't like a, having a big band or you know it was a nice compliment to him so i mean we got you know i think our first big thing and i don't know if darren touched on this at all was that the arsenio thing no he did not yeah so that was, that, that was yeah. kind of 
that was kind of the first thing that really um, set it off for us. After we had moved to Minneapolis, we recorded our first two records on our own. We asked, um, we asked our manager if he could send our, our cassette in to the talk shows, you know, and he's like, nah, no, don't even do that. He said, nobody will, they will, they'll just throw in the garbage. So, which, you know, he's not wrong. I mean, that happens all the time, but yeah. uh, we, so we just said, okay, well, whatever. We sent in our own cassette of our really? record to uh, the Arsenio Hall show. And uh, lo and behold, we get a response back saying, hey, we love your stuff. We know you're not on a major record label, but we'd love to have you on and figure out a way to, to uh, work you into the show. Mm-hmm. And we shoved that in our manager's face. <laughs> um, and so that was, uh, that was pretty cool. That was kind of a, that was a jumping off point where they you know, fly us up to LA and pick us up and suddenly we're on that show. And it was at that time, we were on like the first night, it was the Monday night after Carson had retired on the Friday night pre- mm. previous Johnny Carson. So the ratings were really high and um, it was a pretty cool thing. Um, from that we got... Um, well, you got offered, Robert De Niro had seen you on that yeah. show and then you got offered yeah. a potential audition for yeah, one of I his mean, movies. We, I mean, we, we got the audition for uh, a Bronx Tale, a movie he was working on. So they flew us out for that. It was between us and another group who was from the Bronx. <laughs> and so after we auditioned for De Niro, you know, it was kind of like, well, do I go with this Bronx group or find these, you know, these Norwegians in from uh, Fargo? I, you know, what, what do I do here? I mean, he said, he goes, to be honest, he goes, you're too good. <laughs> he goes, I, I think I need something a little more rough around the edges. Uh, but that was a great experience too. Um, but yeah, that was kind of the that was kind of the big jumping off point. I would say it was it was like okay, I think we can go further than just our hometown. Mm-hmm. You know? So I think the nugget that you just dropped there is your persistence. You know, when your management or somebody that isn't agreeing with your vision tells you no, or I don't think we should do that, and you just say, "Well, we're going to do it anyway," and you got your opportunities for that. I mean, just being persistent in this business, and you're going to get a lot of no's, as I'm sure everybody knows. But yeah, just said, "Well, that, I still it. think we should." That's it, and I think that's the that can be the biggest battle. I mean, when you're younger, you have a tendency to to you you have more resiliency, I think, you know, in a sense mm-hmm. because. You're just like, put it out there, whatever, you know, yeah. um, as you get, as you get older, I self doubt like comes in a lot for me, even, even with everything I've been through, I feel like, um, I still don't think that I've, I know enough or I'm good enough, you Wow. Know? but you know, but, but back then it was like, yeah, I can do anything. I'm going to live forever. You know? <laughs> yeah. So you just go for stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that's true. It's we were just persistent, and and honestly, we have been we ha- because of the fact that we <laughs> and when Darren maybe Darren talked about our record deals and stuff and how we would you know we'd get courted by Sony or uh, uh, RCA or whatever you know it it always it, it always ended up this way they fly us up to New York for a showcase or LA they put us up we showcase we'd meet with the head of the label and they'd say uh do you want to work would you work with other producers and we would say no we want to do everything ourselves and then the next day we'd be sent home but no limo you know it's just like we we were so we were so idealistic you know like we gotta stick to our guns man we gotta stick to our guns and uh 
and I think that is kind of, you know, the, the kind of the typical record label stories. You get picked up by a label yeah. and it kind of doesn't happen and it gets shelved and then what do you do? You're nobody. But I think our persistence through the years has paid off because here we are 30 years later and actually make You're a filling theaters. Yeah, yeah, you sell out, out theaters anywhere. And, and yeah. I, and not a lot of people who've had record deals can say that. It usually dissolves. But um, one of the things, too, is that we started off as friends from the same hometown. And we're still friends today. And that's really what, what keeps us together is, mm -hmm. is the friendship. And our common drive uh, and goal for what this was all about, and that is just we like to make music, but we like to make it together. And we, we understand each other. We know that what we do isn't perfect or, or uh, um, exactly, you know, exactly what each of us individually, maybe artistically uh, needs to be fulfilled by. But when we put it together, that's our thing. And um, we're really proud of it. And that's mm -hmm. why we're still doing it, you know? Well, you should be proud of it. I mean, it is. <laughs> Sorry, I got to get a drink. Oh, yeah. I just finished Bye. mine. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you should be very proud of what you guys have done. You guys have done amazing, amazing things. And you've Thanks. helped other artists, you know, along those same lines, same lines is that, you know, Darren is now working with acapella groups mm -hmm. uh, from a production standpoint and recording yep. standpoint in the studio and sort of helping guide them that way. Um, you, you guys have all sort of found your niche. Now, you know, yep. you still have the blenders thing going on. You're doing side projects. Let's talk about those. Um, yeah, I mean, projects you're doing. I, I guess um, my whole life is a side project. <laughs> you know, yeah. as you know, you kind of do, you do a lot of different things. You right. know, you wear a lot of different hats. Yeah. And um, part of it has become survival because yeah. um, if you just hone in, sometimes honing in on one thing, you know, you put all your eggs in one basket, it just doesn't, it maybe not, it doesn't pan out. So mm -hmm. you end up throwing a lot of stuff up in the air see what you know what you can catch and um, um, so I've managed to over the years really try to build uh, the other aspects of what I do um, I do a lot right now I besides studio stuff um, you know I'm working on producing some albums and I'm doing I'm working on a TV pilot right now for with music but I also I still once in a while choreograph on the side um, I I have a couple, I have a, a band that I'm in weekly, kind of that does, uh, uh, it's an 80s kind of tribute pop band kind of thing, but they're, I'm also building that into more of a theater type show and building other theater shows. Right. Um, I really, I really love the production aspect of things and um, not that I don't want to perform, uh, but I would like to get more to the just kind of overseeing everything mm -hmm. and and uh, and that's kind of what I'm doing right now is is really putting things together. I, I'm I'm also putting other people's shows together. They, mm -hmm. They'll hire me to to come in and um, and program their show, whether it's lighting or or uh, you know scenes, video. I do a lot of that stuff. I've been doing stuff for some of the uh, you know Prince tribute tours that happen. Um, being from Minneapolis. Right. All those guys are still in town. I've been putting some of their stuff together, and uh, uh, yeah, when you say those guys, too. you're you're speaking of Prince's bands and the yeah, like guys members he performed. of the Revolution and mm -hmm. the and the uh, New Power Generation of the time, and those guys are all 
a lot of them are still around and, and I work with them um, quite frequently. So mm -hmm. working on another one right now too. So, oh, but I love cool. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Putting so things what, together. What's the newest iteration um, that I saw sort of the kitschy, the kitschy band that you're in with the wife of, um, yes. Uh, the intoxicants. Yeah. Uh, so the intoxicants started from, uh, my buddy Rick and his wife, Amy, who are huge tiki. They love that whole, that whole vibe. Um, their house is, is, uh, kind of like an old Brady Bunch house mm -hmm. from the seventies. that's decked out and all that stuff, but they have a, a house in Hawaii as well. Um, Rick's a, a music, uh, he started off as a, a jingle house guy in town mm. and um, really smart writer. Amy's a great musician. Um, anyway, so they live in Hawaii and they live next door to Todd Rundgren and his wife, Michelle. So one day um, Rick was saying, you know, I, I, I really, they have a restaurant. Uh, Todd and Michelle have a restaurant, the Rundgren's in um, in Hawaii where they live um, called Tiki Miki and so Rick's like I'm gonna we're gonna go down there and I'm gonna try to meet Michelle and get talking with her um, Rick and Amy have been wanting to do kind of a fun Tiki lounge spy 60s mm -hmm. you know kind of band forever just for fun yeah and so Rick had Rick had hit me up about it and said hey do you want to be involved with this because I've got <coughs> You know, so-and-so on board. We've got uh, Noah Levy, who's the drummer for Brian Setzer Orchestra, Peter Frampton, uh, Five for Fighting. He's in that. Uh, and I've got, we've got the whole new Power Generation horn section. Um, <laughs> he, he's like, we've got all these people involved. Do you want to be a part of it? I said, I'd love to. Um, he said, well, it just so happens, you know, we were talking, we met Michelle Rundgren. We were talking to her. And she said, one thing she really wanted to do was start this tiki band. He goes, that's really <laughs> weird. Because so do we. <laughs> so... Um, so Rick's like, I'm going to get back to town and start writing some tunes. And so he wrote, workshopped a bunch of stuff. And the next thing we're, we know, we're, uh, we've got the band together. Michelle's involved. Um, we got um, Todd is playing guitar and a couple of the tunes on our, on our record. We got, you know, put an EP together. And then we go, we get booked and play the, uh, the largest Tiki Fest in the you know congregation in the country in san diego called um, tiki oasis uh we played it last year it was kind of our it was our first outing and it was just a blast um and then we're doing it again this year now and we we're playing the main stage this year but that's just a completely weird thing where you know never expected to do something <laughs> yeah. like that or like who decides to do that but it's really interesting i you know now that Todd Rundgren's involved. Todd Rundgren is like, a, I mean, he's a god amongst yeah. producers and musicians. If you're in the music community, you know who Song he is. Songwriters, yeah. Songwriters. <laughs> and he's pretty, I mean, he produced Meatloaf, Bad Out of Hell. He produced American Woman. I mean, it's like, whatever. Uh, aside from all the stuff he's written, but um, like currently in his band, he's got uh, Prairie Prince from the Tubes and Greg Hawks from the, from the Cars are in his band. Um, I should note. I should note too that Michelle Rundgren was in the Tubes, and that's how they met because the Tubes would open for Todd. Yeah, so she was one of the backup singers, choreographer. Oh. Yeah, so um, she's in all that all that old footage. Um, but it's really interesting, you know. Now, now we're uh, we went and we did. Uh, Todd Rundgren's got a uh, 
it's a benefit in Chicago for music education the schools. Mm. And we went, he, we, we were part of it. We were like the, one of the nights where all of his fans gathered and, and uh, Greg Hawks from the cars, I shared keyboard duties with Greg Hawks. And that was just That's so cool. Yeah. I mean like, this is the guy I who knows, that. I played all these songs, you know? <laughs> um, so that's a really fun thing too. So, you know, I just kind of, what anything at this point in my life, I'm kind of grabbing at just, yeah. it's all about like, what keep, what, what do I love to do? What can I keep involved in that keeps me like, has my hands in a little bit of everything and is fun. It's, it's, I just want to do fun stuff, you know, well, that's so I cut cool. back on the club dates, a lot of that stuff and just mm -hmm. trying to do more fun stuff well a lot of things a lot of things that are repeated in these podcast videos that we're doing is that um you know it's the connections and the connectivity regarding the the music community like don't burn bridges you're never mm -hmm. going to know the opportunities right. that you're not going to have um that's that right. forthcoming i mean you would have never known that this to happen if you no. weren't working with rick is it right yeah no. Yeah, exactly. So you don't want to be a dick when you get a deal. I mean, you know, you don't want to be too high on no. your horse. You have to be, no. you know what I mean? Um, and I, you have to say yes a lot. And that can be a problem and a challenge at times, but it can also be extremely um, beneficial to your career. So it sounds so cool. I mean, I, well, I, I think it's to good to that. say yes. I think it's good to say yes to open those doors. Um, at some point, you know, I think you, over the years though, you realize that the no's are usually um, not based on somebody being a dank or, you know, whatever. It's like, it's based on what do I, you know, you're trying to juggle family and all these things. Right. Like if I say yes, I would love to. If I say yes though, I feel like I'm not gonna give you right. my the full amount of me that I could give. And so you have to kind of cut back a little bit and mm -hmm. and and focus. like. I'll spread myself too thin, like you're talking, mm -hmm. you know, um, you get too many, too many projects going. Um, not that you don't want to do them. It's just that you know that it'll probably get to be too much and you want to focus in on the stuff that's the most important to you. you know? Right. But yeah, Absolutely. I'm open to anything. Somebody will throw something by me like, ah, sure. Let's see. We'll try it out. Why not? So that's a really good point because what we like to do is highlight where people can find you because this is turning yeah. into a really big community of people helping each other. So where can they find you or get in touch with you to help on projects or run things by you? Um, well, <laughs> I'm on, on Facebook. Um, my band, Brat Pack Radio, uh, you can go to bratpackradio.com, go to uh, Facebook, um, Instagram, um, Ryan Lance. On, um, on Do you have your own also. website or anything like that? No, it's all from, it's all yeah. kind of, uh, you know, word of mouth kind of yeah. production stuff, you know. Uh, but you can email at mail at ratpackradio.com if okay. you want to uh, check that stuff out. Um, yeah, otherwise, uh, I'm out there. Sometimes you can find me at Target. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so. Um, Theblenders.com, you can get, me out, uh, get a hold of me through there too as well. Yeah, let's go yes. back to the blenders for a moment. Yeah. And, you know, it's all about controlling any, I should say, I'm going to back up for a second. Sure. I approach music as a business, even though we love music and we got into it because of our love of what the feeling that it gives us. But it's reality is it's a business and you have to treat it as such. You guys have sold thousands and thousands and thousands of albums. 
whether they be cassette tapes at the time, CDs, downloads. What else yep. are you doing to sort of keep, because you have what I call a power audience. You have that audience that will just buy your stuff. Again, what's next? Yes. Throw something else up. Okay, we'll buy that. Yep. Um, what has been sort of the biggest lesson regarding people buying your stuff? You know, have, do you have a little uh, tidbit that you can give people that if you have a physical product or if you have a digital product or sort of a little... Well, our audience there? still buys physical, you know? I mm -hmm. think uh, a lot of the stuff off the, off the stage after a show, um, you know, it's, a, it's kind of a niche audience who loves vocal music. Mm -hmm. um, but, and you got to keep, you do have to keep it fresh and keep new stuff coming. So we've tried to at least come out with something new every couple of years, um, mm -hmm. every few years here and there. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, but also started figuring out how, how to, monetize you know internet streaming and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff too and you know there's a lot there's obviously that's a big huge uh mm -hmm. discussion about mm -hmm. artists rights and how much money is going to artists um, but we we've managed to do a pretty good job of retaining the rights to our catalog and our catalog now is is pretty decent size i can't even remember now it's like mm -hmm. 17 albums or something like that but um we do get a lot of uh we do get a lot of digital hits, a lot of downloads now. Um, and it's, it's, uh, I think the main thing is just to kind of try to stay relevant, you know, try yeah. to keep, try to stay out there. That's one of the things, you know, we've tried, we've been a little bit more of a holiday touring act. And so during the year it drops a little bit, but um, we're thinking about maybe changing that mm -hmm. after our, starting our 30th year years, maybe getting back into some more stuff during the year. Um, and uh, maybe trying to tour a little bit. Um, but yeah, I would say it's being relevant and just getting yourself out there and making sure that people uh, know, know where you are and know that you're still doing stuff. You know? Right. Yeah, on the Wise Musician Facebook page, for those of you that are listening on the podcast, on the Wise Musician Facebook page, um, I had done a quick training video from just a foundational understanding of all the moving pieces, how many pieces of a song that you can get paid on and how you formulate mm -hmm. that and how, uh, boy, all the different agencies um, that you need to deal with to make sure that you have those rights. So right. there, for those who you who are listening if you want some foundational knowledge also we just released a an entertainment attorney's um, interview that we did here that he literally spells everything out to you so if you want to go to the wise musician facebook page uh, pete strand spells everything out from a conceptual standpoint what you should do what you shouldn't do and really drops a lot of gold nuggets for those of you who really don't have a clue which all of us were at one time that didn't have a clue yeah. about the, yeah. what we're supposed to do so that's sort of a foundational layer especially if you're a songwriter it's very important and i mm -hmm. and that's another thing too is the uh the songwriting aspect i mean we do a lot of cover music um but it's you know you get royalties off of your performance so mm -hmm. you know when somebody has searched our catalog or searched a song online they found our version we've got a few songs that have been placed in movies and you know somebody will say i need this song they go find it they go oh i lo really love this version of it well they have to license the recording from us the writer still gets their share yeah but um we get a nice chunk for performing it so yeah um that's been cool that's been a nice little stream of revenue and um, beautiful yeah 
if you remember, um, we, I did an interview with Willie Porter. Do you remember Willie Porter? Mm -hmm. You guys used to tour with mm -hmm. him, sort of the NACA. Yeah. Um, yep. Circuit, if you will. Yep. NACA, if you don't know what that is, it's sort of the college circuit. National um, Association of Campus Activities, yes. Yeah. Very profitable. If you are looking to uh, <laughs> book tours and book That's some right. maybe theaters or clubs in between, get on or the college rooms. circuit. <laughs> <laughs> or lunch rooms. Oh, my God. Then, and then they don't like you sound checking while they're uh, eating lunch. And then you say, I'm not doing this ever again. Well, but they pay very well. <laughs> no, they do. That's right. They pay very yeah. well for a short right. amount of time. So it's a, it's no, a. No, that was a great era. We did a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But one thing that he shared that he's doing just from a physical product standpoint and how he continues to sell and resell to his power audience is, you know, a lot of his audience were the ones who bought the physical products, mm -hmm. but now they have now transitioned into iPhones and, you know, internet through your car and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But they still want something physical. And um, I'm going to mention the reason why Amazon still does killer or is a killer business is because people get so excited to get something through the mail. So mm -hmm. even though you feel that music has sort of gone to a total extreme of streaming and downloads of music, people still love to get music through the mail. They, they just do. love to wait for that package. So what he does is he takes sort of his top of all his, his um, album library, he takes the top songs or the, the biggest hits and he puts them in, in a thumb drive, mm -hmm. uh, a little external drive, and then they purchase that uh, yep. for a certain amount of money and then he sends them that. So have you guys ever done anything like that? No, but actually we're talking about doing that this year. We're putting our whole catalog mm -hmm. uh, on that. It's for our 30th anniversary. But that's yeah, perfect. that's we exactly. We talked about the same thing. Mm -hmm. We talked about maybe bundling it together that you could buy the whole buy everything and you get the thumb drive too so you can pop you know if you still have an old car you can pop the cd in your car yeah. but you've also got the usb uh for your computer at home or whatever or your car but yeah, yeah that's that's definitely that's definitely where it's going yeah. And what I've been training people on um, regarding music sales and keeping control of your music sales and, and having a process to it and understanding what to do is just like what you said, you bundle things together, but you also, you know, start with something that intrigues them and then upsell them to something else. Or you're mm -hmm. going to get a bigger sale from those people instead of just saying, buy my CD. If you have a right. concept to what you're giving to them for their money, you're yep. going to sell more and to the same audience. That's what a lot of people don't understand. You can continue to resell your same stuff to your same audience over yep. and over again. And they really want to know you. Um, you know, their fans are fans for a reason. They're fanatics. They love to get to know you and really feel like they're a part of you or your friends, right? Yes, so, and you offer up you offer up incentives and yeah, and uh, little extras. You know, we put out a couple compilations, then we'll throw a few new tunes on there where uh, never been released before, or you mm -hmm. know, giving pre-sales to people right. who are your Facebook friends. You know, they get to get tickets to your concerts a few weeks before. Right. Uh, it goes on sale for general public, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, perfect. I love that yeah. you're putting that together. Um, so before we depart, I always ask mm -hmm. everybody this question. So throughout your entire career, the first thing that pops in your head, what was sort of the biggest epiphany of where you thought your career was going to go or where you thought you were going to go in your career and you took a complete left-hand turn and you had this giant aha moment? What was that for you? Hmm. Uh, I've had a few, I think. Yeah. You know? I mean, basically what you just described to me, you did have a few. Yeah. I mean, there was the, 
uh, when I started dancing, I was like, oh my gosh, this is a whole new world. This is what I'm going to do, you know? And then I got to the point where I started singing with the Blenders guys. I was like, oh, this is where I'm going, you know? <laughs> and, um, and then you have a family. You're like, okay, now this is where I'm going. Uh, and then just recently, I mean, just this last year, I, I you know, you kind of go into that uh, midlife thing and you go, what am I going to do? do I, how do I want to live the rest of my life? And, mm-hmm. and it really boiled down to, um, I got to really make sure that I do stuff that makes me happy. Otherwise, what's the point? Mm-hmm. You know, that I'm not going to remember, um, you know, try, trying to pay bills on my deathbed you know it's like I don't I'm not gonna remember that I'm gonna try to be remembering all the fun stuff I did with my kids right oh I love that yeah I mean that's and and so obviously you work to to play um but my I want my work to be play and so Mm. I've really tried to take on stuff that is fun And, and I feel like since I since I really changed that um now more things are becoming it's just the fun stuff. Once I say I'm not going to do that anymore, right. uh, I'm going to, I'm just going to do this, it yeah. starts coming to me. And that's what I'm noticing now. I kind of, you know, you take a little bit of a stand and say, I, I can't, I can't go down this road anymore. It's tiring, my, tiring me out. It's, it's mm-hmm. too much. Um, my energy could be better spent. Mm-hmm. And, and I could refocus that on more positive stuff. And that's, this last year a lot has changed and it's still changing so i mean right now like i'm really enjoying doing a lot of different things but i'm uh moving in a direction that is more sustainable mm-hmm. uh as i get older which is yeah. um behind the scenes production stuff you know rather I than being on stage the whole time i can still do that when i want to but yeah but um i don't i don't have to do it all the time right know? i love that yeah. Well, um, if you guys haven't checked out the blenders by now, since we've been talking for a while, go to theblenders.com and check out their music, uh, check out their tours. If you want, I mean, let's just face it right now. You're doing so well over the Christmas and holiday market because that's really where you're shining. If you want phenomenal Christmas music or holiday music, that's kind of the focus right now, right? Yeah, definitely check out their stuff. But um, Ryan, I appreciate your time so much today. It was very nice Thanks. to see you yeah. again. And Great to talk to you and see you. Yeah, you too. Well, I appreciate cool. that. Very cool. <laughs> well, we will talk again in a couple months, and uh, I thank you for your time. Have a great rest of your day. Sounds good. You too. Thanks. Thank you for visiting us at the Wise Musician Club. If you'd like to follow us on Facebook and listen to all the interviews and watch their video interviews of the podcast, go to The Wise Musician and like and follow the page. We look forward to seeing you back here or visiting our Facebook page.